The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Sunday is what we call Easter Sunday, right? Today is the day that is recognized by many people, but unfortunately it's not celebrated by all. For many in the world, it's accepted as a holiday, but it's not a holy day, right? A lot of people don't really know, even the ones that show up to churches, what Easter is all about. You know, one Sunday school teacher asked one of her classmates to to write down what Easter meant for them, describe it. And one of the kids wrote egg salad sandwiches for the next two weeks. There are those who recognize Easter as time for Easter baskets, bunnies, and, you know, that has its place for little kids and eggs. Those who put a lot of emphasis on maybe a new Easter outfit, right? I got all dressed up today. But the resurrection is everything to Christianity. And today is not really Easter, it's Resurrection Sunday if we want to be proper. You see, the life of Christ is a waste without the resurrection. Without the resurrection, the death of Christ becomes just the death of some deranged man. Without the death of Christ and resurrection, it becomes nothing. Christianity. You see, it wasn't his teaching, it wasn't his miracles, it wasn't his dying that accounted for the church today. It's, it's accounted because of his resurrection. That's why we have church today. If it wasn't for his resurrection, there would be no church if he was not risen. And really, the whole Christian doctrine stands and falls on the reality of the resurrection of the Jesus Christ. When he died, see, they were walking with Jesus for three and a half years, the disciples. And when he died, they're all scattered, right? We read Peter went fishing. But what happened later on? We see Peter out there boldly preaching the same Jews that that crucified Jesus, all those religious leaders, he says, hey, we're not going to listen to you. We're going to listen to God. What changed? All of a sudden, they were all scattered because they saw the risen Savior. They met the risen Savior. Paul himself was an unbeliever. He was persecuting the church. And on his way to Damascus, he met the risen Savior. What happened? Instead of persecuting the church, Paul joined it. Radical change in his life, and this change only brought more persecution, more heartache in his life. And folks, we are the products, those who are born again in Christ, we are the product of his resurrection. And because the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is so important, there's a bio chapter in the Bible where Paul takes the entire chapter to detail out every part of it. You see, when you meet the risen Savior, there's absolutely no one that can talk you out of it and convince you otherwise that there is no Jesus Christ. Now, you know, for first, for the past six weeks, we've been studying this agape love. You guys remember that? I hope you do, because we took like six weeks to go over 13 verses. Now, there's, for this uh, Resurrection Sunday, I thought we will continue to be in 1 Corinthians, and we're going to go to chapter 15, which is the resurrection chapter. And it has 
58 verses. And we're going to cover all of them today. Kidding. The theme of the message is the good news because the word gospel literally means good news. So you guys ready for some good news, all the bad news we've been hearing and everything? Because then I want to tell you the best news that this world ever heard, it came out from a graveyard just around, just outside Jerusalem. You know, I heard a story about a man who went to Jerusalem and his wife convinced him to take his mother-in-law with him. said, hey, she's never been there and she was a ever... She was a nagging mother-in-law. Anybody have those? Don't raise your hand. It's Easter. But he agreed, and he practiced that agape love with his mother-in-law. And, you know, never can please. He was never good enough for her daughter. But he was practicing agape love that the pastor was preaching about. But it just happened that when they were in Jerusalem, she died. So now he's faced with the dilemma. You know, to bring the body back to America to the United States is going to cost them $10,000. So the undertaker said, hey, I have a solution for you. You can bury here in Jerusalem and only cost you $5,000. says, no, we're going to bring her back to America. He said, I know you're probably going through a grieving process, but did you hear when I said it's going to be only $5,000 in the Holy Land? And he said, no, I heard you correctly. I heard you correctly. But you see, the problem is, about 2,000 years ago, you buried a man here. Three days later, he walked out that grave. I just can't take that chance. Just kidding. No emails. Just kidding. Now, the new good news in the Bible is not good news unless there's a possibility of what? The bad news. It's the bad news that makes the good news. So if we go to chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, and let's read the first six verses that we have. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received in which you stand, by which also you are saved if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and rose again on the third day according to what? The Scriptures. And he was seen by Cephas, then by twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom greater part remained to the present. Basically, those are still alive, but some of them have fallen asleep. Some of those 500 have passed away now. So we're going to stop reading right there. And folks, again, it's not the, the good news is not so good news unless you know there's possibility of bad news. And the bad news, what he talks about here, is our sins. Our sins that make the good news, the gospel. And that is such good news. And Paul says, I declare unto you the gospel. The word gospel means good news, which in a sense we preach to you the good news. And the Bible declares the message of good news. And resurrection is prominent. It takes first place in the gospel truth. He is risen from the dead, folks, and he lives in me. If you look at 1 Corinthians 15.3, it says this, For I deliver to you, 
first of all, to which I also received. First of all here doesn't mean that's the first thing I said. doesn't mean it's the first thing he said. It means it's the main thing, the primary thing. Before you can say anything else, I have to say this. He's talking about the primacy of the good news. You take the resurrection out of the gospel, there is no gospel, folks. There is no good news. Paul says, I declare unto you the gospel, and again, it means I declare to you the good news. So when we preach the good news, when we preach the Bible, we preach the good news. And the first thing I want to look with you here is this, what I call the proclamation or annunciation of the good news. Paul says, I delivered it. I delivered to you, first of all, that which you also received. I delivered it. Now, what's this annunciation of this good news? Why is it so good? First of all, it means the penalty of sin has been paid because that's the bad news. Second, it means the penalty of sin has been removed, and that's the good news because, folks, sin, sin must be punished. There's no way around it. God never can, God never will, God never has overlooked sin. And if God will go and let sin go unpunished, he would cease to be holy. He will trample down from his throne of holiness. But Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took punishment upon himself. In 1 John 29, it says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away what? The sin of the world. Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took that punishment upon himself. He was virgin-born, sinless sacrifice, because there was no sin in him. We'll read that in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So he carried our sins to the cross, and on that cross he bowed his head, in John 19.30, we read, so when he has received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The telestai, it is finished. It means it's paid in full. When Jesus Christ died upon that cross, he bowed his head. He said, it's paid in full. He paid a debt that he didn't owe because he knows it's a debt that I couldn't pay, you couldn't pay, none of us could pay it. So he paid it for us. And because he did that, why is it so wonderful news? Well, look at Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And folks, if you believe in hell, if you believe in eternity, I want to tell you that this gospel is the best, good, great news because it deals with, with penalty of sin. But folks, there's more. Not only it deals with penalty of sin, it deals with the pollution of sin. You see in 1 Corinthians 15.3, it says, Christ died for our sins. Do you see that according to the Scriptures? But then we move on to verse 4. 1 Corinthians 15.4 says, And he was buried. Do you know that burial of Jesus Christ is part of the gospel? That he's burial... Is part of the gospel. What do you do with the corpse? You put it away. You put it in the grave. Because you see, Jesus not only dealt with the penalty of sin, he dealt with the pollution of sin. 
What he did was he took our sins and carried them, that old person we used to be, buried it, that old person in its sinful nature, all that greed, all that filth, that was buried, all that corruption, pollution. That has been buried with Christ, and Christ, what? God does not remember it anymore. He chooses not to. And blessed folks, when we come to God and we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we don't have to be haunted by the ghost of guilt from our past because you're a new creature, you see. All of that has been buried. Now, what I want to say here is that if he just forgave me the penalty and didn't deal with the pollution, my salvation is kind of weak. Because if you say you took $10 from me, and then you said, hey, here's your $10 back. No, I'm sorry. That would dealt with the penalty, but you're still a thief. That deals with the pollution. But what God did here when he was buried, in Psalm 103.12, we read, as far as east from west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. Isn't that wonderful? If you think about it. And then 6.4 in Romans it says, therefore, this is what baptism is all about. Therefore, we buried with him through baptism unto death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead body by the glory of the Father, even so we should not walk in newness of life. You see, what happens is, and we need to understand this, when the devil comes looking for Cornet, for example, and says, Cornet is going to spend the eternity in hell. Well, he can't because... Jesus took the penalty. Well, I'm still going to torture him about that past. Well, you can't do that because Cornet is dead. That's buried. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. So that old creature that Satan wants me to think I am or to remind me of all those things, is gone. So that's how you can have victory in your spiritual life. Think about that. He can't torment this about the penalty or the pollution of sin. But wait a minute. There's more. That's not all the good news. Jesus died. That dealt with the penalty. He was buried. That dealt with the pollution. But watch now. Go back. If you go to 1 Corinthians 15.4, it says, He rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Jesus came out of that grave and you know what deals, that deals with? The power of sin. The power of sin. You see, Jesus gave himself for me that he might give himself to me. He didn't just say, now the penalty of sin is gone, the pollution of sin is gone, Cornet, here you go, you got a fresh start, it's up to you now. Don't screw up. No, 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 no. We have the resurrection life within us. The power of Jesus Christ is in us today because why? Because he lives. How do we know he wasn't another just religious leader? We've seen so many come and go, but in Romans 1, 4 it says, and declare to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness, by what? By the resurrection from the dead. Notice that son of God with power. Folks, 
The resurrection is God's amen to Christ's statement. It is finished. It wasn't just some deranged man walking around saying, who's seen me, seen the Father. When God raised him from the dead, that is proof positive exactly he is who he said he was. Look again in 1 Corinthians 53. It says, Christ died for our sins. Why is that important? It means it's done. It's past tense. He died, that's past tense. He was buried, that's past tense. If you look at uh, 1 Corinthians 15.4, you see that? He was buried. That's also past tense. But then he says, he rose again on the third day. That's not past tense. That's present tense. He is alive, he is alive, and folks, we will be alive. And God, Jesus Christ, will always be alive. There has never be a time that he's not going to be alive. He's dead, that's finished. He's buried, that's finished. He rose, that's never finished. And folks, I mean, if you refuse the Lord Jesus Christ now and walk out of this place an unsafe person, you don't accept him as your personal Lord and Savior, Christ in your heart, don't think you're done with Christ, folks. We all have a date with deity. Either some of you will meet him as a Savior, some of you will meet him as a judge. You know, Hebrews 9.27 says this, and a lot of times people forget this. And it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, judgment. We're living a life like we're never going to die. They don't want to think about this. But as I shared with you before, their statistics on death are quite impressive, right? One One out of every one person will die. And when you die, you'll be put in the grave. And then you'll be risen from the dead, resurrection of the damned, and you'll see that Jesus Christ sitting on a throne, the Christ that you rejected. If you're saved, that's a good news because it deals with the penalty of sin, it deals with the pollution of sin, and deals with the power of sin. That's good news. So that's the annunciation. Hey, this is what good news is. But not only the insensiation, but I want you to look at the prophecy of this good news. The anticipation of the good news. If you look at 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 4, Paul repeats this word twice. For I delivered to you first of all, which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to what? The Scriptures. And then he moves on to verse 4, says, And that he was buried and rose again the third day according to what? The scriptures. Well, what scriptures is he talking about? The New Testament wasn't written yet. Well, you see in Luke 24, 25, 27, it says then, this, this is Jesus. Then he said to them, a foolish ones, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ who has suffered these things and enter into his glory? And then it says in verse 27, And the beginning at Moses, in all the prophets, he expounded on them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Folks, did you know the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ is in the Old Testament? 
And twice, Paul repeats the phrase according to the Scriptures to emphasize this is nothing new. You see, the Scriptures, the Old Testament that he's talking about, affirm the resurrection, and resurrection affirms the Scriptures. In Isaiah 46, verses 9-10, we read these words. You know, we're talking about sometimes people want to know the future and prophecies, and they get them all wrong. But in 46, verses 9 and 10 says this, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is no one like me. And then in verse 10, he says, Declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things that are not done yet, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. See, God was telling these Jewish people, the Jewish nation Israel, all along that there will be a Christ. He will come. He'll die. He'll be resurrected. And there's over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that relate to Jesus Christ. Now, if you take one of these prophecies, you may say, well, that's just happenstance, right? Just one fulfillment of the prophecy may not be good to convince you of this good news, this gospel. But when you weave all of them together, you have this cord that can't be broken. And I just want to take some of the prophecies in the Old Testament, and I'm going to go kind of fast, and show you that they happened in the New Testament. Remember he said he would be forsaken by his followers? Zechariah 13, 7 says, Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Remember all the disciples left. Well, Mark 14, 50 just verifies that. and says, Then they all forsook him and fled. He'll be falsely accused. In Psalm 35, 11, it says, Fear witnesses will rise up. Was that fulfillment completed? Matthew 26, 60 says, Many false witnesses came forward. It was prophesied that he will be abused and beaten. Isaiah 50, verse 6 says, I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out my beard, and I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. That happened. Matthew 26, verses 67, 68 says, Then they spat in his face and beat him, and others struck him with the palms of their hands. Verse 68 saying, Prophesize to us, Christ, who is the one who struck you? It was also predicted that he would not retaliate. And Isaiah 53, 7 says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and sheep before its shears as silent, so he opened not his mouth. Was that fulfillment completed? Matthew 27, 14, But he answered to him not one word. So the governor marveled greatly. It was also prophesied that he would be executed with the lawbreakers. Isaiah 50 through 12, and he was numbered with transgressors, and he bore the sins of many. Matthew 27, 38 says, Then the two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right, and the other on the left. But not only that, it was prophesied that he would be crucified. Psalm 26, 16 says, The wicked has enclosed me, they have pierced my hands and feet. Now, what makes this an incredible prophecy? And Bible prophesies that he would be crucified because, to me, it's, this is one of the most remarkable prophecies because, you see, the crucifixion was not known 
when this prophecy was written, when this psalm was written. It was not known. It was a Persian Roman type of capital punishment. So how can write-up psalms know that? In Luke 23, 23, 33, it says, And when they gave, come to a place called Calvary, they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left, they crucified him. And folks, it was also predicted while he's going to be crucified, while he's being killed, he's going to pray for his executioners. Isaiah 53, 12 says, And he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. If you look at Luke 23, 34, then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do, and they divided his garments and cast lots. There's also prophesied that his body will not be broken. Psalm 34, 20 says, He guards all his bones, not one of them broken. John 19, 33, but when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, did not break his legs. Because they used to break your legs so you can die faster and suffocate. And then he would be pierced. Even the piercing to his side was prophesied in the Old Testament. Zechariah 12.10 says they will look on him who they pierced. John 19.34 says, But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. Then it says it will be gambling from the clothing, right? Remember Psalm 22.18, They divide my garments among them, for my clothing they cast lots. Look at John 19, 23, 24. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments made four parts to each soldier apart in the tunic. And the tunic without the seam woven at the top one piece. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. These cruel Roman soldiers didn't even know that they were completing a prophecy. The last one I just want to look at is he would rise from the dead. Isaiah 53.10 says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him and put him to grief. When you make a soul on an offering of sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He's going to prosper. Mark 16, 6 says, But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid them. And folks, the prophecies we're talking about just deal with the death and burial or resurrection. That's the ones I kind of picked. But I said there's over... 300 prophecies, and we just took a handful. And I want to remind you that most of these prophecies, you know, some people can say, hey, he opened up the Old Testament and saw all those prophecies there, then he just went and did them. Well, most of these prophecies were completed by his enemies. By his enemies. Was that happenstance? And I only looked at 10, but there was a calculation done. If you take only Eight prophecies being complete by one person. That's a one chance by a number I can't even calculate. It's sextillion. It's 21 zeros afterwards. Peter Stoners, he's a statistician, and he did a study, and he said if you just 
take those eight prophecies, try to explain it, and he said, if you take an area that's 80,000 square miles and you line them all up with dimes next to each other, then blindfold the person and have them pick out a dime, the correct dime. That's the chance of one person completing those eight prophecies. But I said there's over 300. The reason it's so important to understand, folks, because, again, this affirms who Jesus Christ is. And this is historians talking. You see, sometimes I read some books about historians and the ones that are kind of set out to prove that there is no Christ, but they're doing it sincerely. They want to understand. Do you know what happens? They join the church. There's more proof Christ has risen from the dead than George Washington existed. You guys know that? Yeah, we don't question if George Washington was really the first president. So we heard about the annunciation, the anticipation. Well, let's authenticate the resurrection. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, verses 5 through 6. It says this, And that he was seen, not only all those prophecies that he has, not according to this, only to the Scriptures, but then Paul confirms this and says, And he was seen by Cephas and by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren all at once, whom greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. So Paul is just not saying, hey, I know the old scriptures, it's in there. He's not saying just believe me, trust me, have faith. He's saying not only that, he actually appeared to these people. He says we have eyewitness accounts. You know, if you get accused of a crime and you get one witness, you know, to your crime, you may get away with it. But if you got 500 witnesses saying, no, he did it, you're going to be gone. You're going to be gone. And some try to doubt the resurrection, but look at what Acts 1-3 says. To whom he also presented himself, this is Jesus, presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, what Luke's saying here in Acts is there's undeniable evidence that Lord Jesus Christ actually literally rose again. He didn't say he just died and disappeared and went straight to heaven from the grave. Jesus stuck around for 40 days. He was walking around and teaching things and pertaining to the kingdom of God. Forty days. He continued to preach, continued to love before he ascended to heaven. So Paul demonstrates all these undeniable evidences. And with Paul in verse 5, he says, hey, not only those prophecies, but he was seen. He was actually seen afterwards. These post-resurrection appearances are not just visions, not hallucinations. People actually saw the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, that's why Paul, no wonder he could say when he was talking to King Agrippa, and these things were public knowledge. He's saying, hey, these things are public knowledge. Look what he says in Acts 26, 26. For the king before whom I speak freely knows these things, for I am convinced that none of these things escape his attention. So when he was talking about the resurrection... They didn't want to listen, but he's saying, King, I know these things are not going to escape you, you know, your attention. Why? 
These things were not done in the corner somewhere. It's public knowledge. The whole land knows. Paul had personal knowledge that a large number of witnesses personally seen the risen Lord Jesus Christ. There were over at least 500, and he says, hey, some of them still alive today. Go talk to them. Some of them died. Some of them alive. He was not a ghost. When they touched him, he ate with people, right? When they touched the doubting Thomas, felt the pierced hands. And he talked about evidence to authenticate something. You know, people, 500 people, they don't have hallucinations all at once, maybe one or two or three. But you can't get 500 people to hallucinate. And then all these people, you know, there's an old song by Hank Williams Jr. I'm sorry, Sr. I don't know if you guys heard it. It's called The House of Gold. And the lyric goes, people steal, they cheat, and lie for the wealth and what it would buy. Well, what did it buy these 500 people to tell, hey, we saw the risen Christ. He's risen from the dead. What, what did they, what, why would they lie? To be tortured? To be persecuted? Most of them didn't have food to eat. Most of them spend the rest of their life that he was risen without any payoff from the human standpoint. They faced life of hardship, ridicule, beaten, imprisoned, and some were actually executed in torturous ways. For what? Good intentions? Think about it. Why all these people said, hey, we saw him? Again, when you meet the risen Savior, you're not going to have anybody trying to convince you out of it. You can't, you can't get somebody if they're not foolish when they know the truth to believe a lie. And how did the Pharisees, Jewish leaders, try to explain it? Well, Matthew 28, 12, 13 says, when they had assembled with the elders, consulted together, they gave large sum of Money to the soldiers, See, they, they, they had no way out. How do we cover up this truth? We're going to lie. In verse 13, saying, tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. Can you imagine if there was like a tribunal or some kind of hearing inquiry going on? And they're talking to those guards there. Do you know where the body of Jesus is? They'll say yes. Where's the body? Well... While we slept, disciples stole the body. Well, what's the penalty of sleeping for on duty, on guard duty? Well, death, Your Honor. Well, does your governor know about this? Well, I suppose. Why are you still alive? And you say, wait a minute, you said you were asleep when they stole the body? Yes, sir. Then how do you know it was the disciples? Case dismissed. You know, there's a historian named Thomas Arnold, and he wrote a historic three-volume history of Rome. And I want to, this is just a historian speaking. I want to point out what he writes in one of his books. It says, the evidence of our Lord's life and death and resurrection may be and often have been shown to be satisfactory. It is good according to the common rules of distinguishing good evidence from the bad. Thousands of tens of thousands of persons have gone through it piece by piece as carefully as every judge summing up a most important case. I have myself done many times over not to persuade others, but to satisfy myself. 
I have been used for many years to study histories of other times and to examine and weight the evidences of those that have written about them. And I know of no one fact in history of mankind which is proved by better and fuller evidence of every sort of understanding and fair inquirer than the great sign of God has given us that Christ died and rose again from the dead. That's not me speaking. That's not you. can Google himself, Thomas Hart. His story. Do you know what happened to him? He joined the church. So how do we appropriate that? We just, how do we appropriate these good news into our lives? Are we just going to come in here and say he is risen and go back home and not be changed? How does it fit into our lives? Well, 1 Corinthians 15, look at the first two verses. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, in which you stand, by which you're also saved if you hold fast that the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Folks, what he's talking about here is believing and receiving. If you read it carefully, verse 1 says, receive it. If you saved, that's what he's saying. You're saying, he's saying you're going to be saved by this gospel. You're saved by this good news. There's no other way to be saved. If there was another way to be saved, God would have taken it. God would never let his son die on the cross and all that shame and all that. This is God's son and all that mockery and so forth if there was another way. And Paul writes to the Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. That's the power. So you receive this gospel of good news. You receive it. And Acts 16.31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Folks, there is no other way. No other way. You're not going to be saved by sincerity. You know a lot of Christ and all that kind of stuff. You're not going to be saved by sentiment. You're not going to be saved by service. You know, there's a lot of people that are working themselves in the different grounds and different pilgrimages and all that kind of stuff to give brownie points with God. It's not sincerity, sentiment, service, sacrament, but the saving gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the good news. And folks, it's so gloriously simple that a lot of people will miss it. You know, I remember listening to Pastor Greg Laurie once, and he said that uh, he went to Disneyland. And you know the tickets cost so much for Disneyland. And one of the people that are supposed to go with them didn't show up. So he had this ticket that was going to waste. So he said, you know what, he just couldn't take it. He said, I'm going to go outside. I'm sure there's somebody out there that wants a free ticket. So he asked his family to stay. He went outside the park. He's like, who would want a free ticket to Disneyland, right? He says, 30 minutes later, I come back. Because I got a little person to say, you want a free ticket? Whoa, what kind of cult are you in? Like, get away from me. No, there's, what's the catch? There is no catch. Free ticket to get in. We have extra. No, thank you. Goes to the next person. Same thing. Because it's so simple. 
There's no catch. You just give me a free ticket? Did you steal it? No, we just have an extra person. 30 minutes later, he had to walk around the park, outside the park, to give away a free ticket to Disneyland. And he said when somebody was coming by, they're like, oh, sure. And they weren't even thankful. Same thing with salvation. Tell, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. People, wow, that's just too simple. That's just too simple to do. Well, that's what you have to do is believe on the Lord Christ. You believe that you're a sinner and you're saved by his death and resurrection on the cross? If you truly, sincerely believe that, you can be saved. And some people say, well, I have my own way. You guys have your way. Well, Proverbs 16.25 says, there's a way that seems to right to man, but it ends the way of death. So, folks, you know the agape love? Sometimes you have to be truthful with people, and it's hard sometimes, right? We talked about that. But I'm going to tell you, apart from Jesus, if you don't have Jesus in your life, you're going to die, and you're going to go to hell. You might think that's rude, but no, that's, that's actually loving. If you see a truck almost going to hit your loved one or a friend, wouldn't you at least yell? There's a truck coming. We're going to, hey, I don't want to be mean. No, you're going to do it. Apart from Jesus, there is no salvation. Acts 4.12 says, No, there is salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men which we must be saved. And the Lord Jesus Christ himself said in John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Folks, many false messiahs have come and gone. Many religious leaders have come but what's the difference? Let's take the, let's take the three biggest ones that we know of. Buddha. What happened to Buddha? He lived. He died. He did. What happened to Confucius? He lived. He died. He did too. What about Muhammad? He lived. He died. He still did. Jesus lived, died, and rose again. Have you ever figured out or tried to at least think logically, why is that not in any other religion? Why is it not no other Buddha didn't say, I'm the way, the, way, the, the life, and the truth? Why didn't any other religious leader say that? I think, just my personal opinion, God didn't allow that because that's what distinguishes him from the rest of of the false cults. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's not just one more Savior, folks. If he's just not the only Savior, then he's no Savior at all because in his word he said, I am the only one. So if he's not the only one, then Jesus is a liar. But I've got wonderful news. He can save anyone. You know that? That's not, not one that he cannot save and there's no one that he will not save. We have this nursery rhyme. You probably hold it. You heard it, uh, Humpty Dumpty. You guys know that? Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty got a great fall. Then all the king's horsemen, all the king's men, couldn't put Humpty back together again. Well, Humpty never met Jesus. No matter where you're at in your life, God will save you. God will restore you. And I want to tell you, wherever you are, wherever you are, Jesus is what you need today and every day.
not only you'll receive it and be safe, but you're going to be strengthened. Look at verse 2, by which you're also saved and hold fast to that word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. I'm saved from the power of sin. Remember past tense? I'm saved from the penalty of sin, the pollution of sin. And I am being saved right now from the very presence of sin. You hold fast to it. Why? Because God is not finished with us yet. You know, Philippians 1, 6 says, Be confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of the Jesus Christ. You see, it's not, I always say, it's not the perfection of your life, it's the direction of your life. God is making us more like the Lord Jesus Christ each day. God is making us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And I was thinking as I prepared this message many years ago, 21 years ago, I accepted Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. And I'm going to tell you, standing here, I would have never made it. Had it not been for this gospel of Jesus Christ, not only has he saved me, but he gave me strength. He strengthened me. Do you think I ever thought that I'm going to be preaching in front of you today? But he knew. I am being saved day by day. And, you know, some people are saying, I like to be saved, but I'm afraid I can't live a Christian life. You know, you have to give up all these things and all that stuff. Yeah. He will give you a new nature, folks. That's what he says. And what you need to understand, nobody, nobody has ever lived a Christian life except the Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody has ever lived a Christian life except the Lord Jesus Christ. And I promise you on authority of Jesus Christ and the word that he left us, if you trust Jesus, come into your heart. He'll give you a new nature. You still stumble and fall. But he will give you strength. And not only he'll give you strength, but you're going to be secured. Believe it, you'll be saved. Believe it, you'll be strengthened. Believe it, you'll be secured. Look at verse 1 again. It says, in which you stand. Well, who's able to make a stand? It says, you stand in this good news. Who's able to make a stand? Myself? By my own power? Romans 14.4 says, who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand. For God is able to make him stand. Folks, what he's saying is, we don't keep him, he keeps us. We are saved and kept by the grace of God. Well, you know, if you live in faithfully, then when you die, you will go to heaven. I'm pretty sure. Well, you need to be certain. You seen those commercials? Pretty sure and certain? I wouldn't trust the best 15 minutes of my life I ever lived to get me into heaven, not to trust all the bad ones. It is him living in me, through me, not me. That's what Paul says here in verse 10. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Not by my own strength. By the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace toward me was not in vain, but I've labored more abundantly than they all, yet but the grace of God which was with me. It's all in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the good news. The gospel is for all. Don't ever believe that God does not want to save all people. He wants to save all. We all know that that will not be a reality. 
But there's that whosoever in the Bible. And a lot of debate is going on what that word means. I'm going to tell you what it means. You know what it means in Greek? Whosoever. Whosoever. Now, it's more complicated than that because God does draw his own to his salvation, but there's nobody that God cannot save, will not save, who will repent of his or her sin. Folks, show me in the Bible when somebody sincerely came to God, repented of their sins, accepted Christ, and they were not saved. I'll close this Bible and never preach again. God can save you where you're at. God will save you where you're at. He'll save you today, every person, every place. 1 John 1, 7 says, But if we walk in delight as he's in delight, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And Isaiah 1, 18 says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are scarlet, they shall be white as snow, that they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And you'll see in the Bible that Jesus says, and God says, I wanted to gather you guys together, but you just didn't want to. The good news, I said before, come to Jesus. And when you come to Jesus, folks, you'll be in better hands than all state. But what you have to understand, there's deductibles to pay sometimes, right? There's accident forgiveness, comes free with the policy, but there's deductibles to pay sometimes because God chastises those that he loves. He's not going to leave you. And Jesus has met the enemy. He conquered him. Death died when Jesus rose. So he's not behind us in the tomb, but he's above in the throne and in our hearts. The best news, folks, the good news is this. He is not here. He is risen. You know, there's the words of an old hymn that go like this. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified freely forever. One day, he's coming. Glorious day. So I must not only tell you the good news that he is risen, he is not here. I must tell you that he is coming back. Friends, so we should not be living our lives as Jesus Christ. We're coming sometimes in the future. You know, we just live our lives. We go to church and all that stuff. But we think he's going to come sometime in the future. Eternity is only a heartbeat away. And some of you may be living high, wide, and handsome. Some of you may laugh at what I'm preaching today or on the inside, snuff, not paying attention. But his day is coming. And personally, I cannot wait. Maybe that's selfish of me to say, but, but Revelation 7, 1, 7, 8 says this, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. And verse 8 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, and the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was, who is to come, the Almighty. Friend, there's a glorious contrast that's going to be between his first coming and his second coming. When he came the first time, he came to take the sinner's place. That's not what his second coming will be. He came the first time to pay our sin debt. 
But when he comes the second time, he's coming back as a lion, not as a lamb. He came the first time to save the lost. He's coming to take the second time, which tells us in 2 Thessalonians. Verses 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 8. This is what God's second coming is. In flame and fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel, which is the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. He came the first time as a messenger of love. He came, he's coming the second time as a judge. First time he wore a robe of shame, he was mocked. Not so his second time. Not so. He's coming as the glorious king. He will be revealed who he is. And in conclusion, Revelation 1.8 tells us this. Blessed is he who reads those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. Christ is risen for you. What do you do with that truth is up to you. He is risen. That's woke everybody up, right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the anointing that comes from heaven, even the Spirit of God who teaches us all these things. We thank you for the resurrection of Christ. We thank you for the living Christ. We thank you for that because he lives one day we will also live. We thank you for the day we will have body like his and glorious body. Lord, we look forward to that glorious day because the Bible tells us I has not seen nor ear has heard the things which the Lord has prepared for them that love him. And we long for that day and we'll enter it through the resurrection. Maybe we're faithful to you, Lord, in truth, to your word. And as we leave today, I ask the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. In Jesus' wonderful name I pray, amen.